you, Bill. Thanks, Heather. I was a little bit more confident in the start of the church than Heather, but at any rate, it was a very good testimony. It was one of those air flights that, you know, you hope that it's going to get up off the... I was, in, I was at 60,000. She was still on the ground somewhere. But, and Heather, I love the story of your five children, or four, four or five. You, know. you actually have six now, but the four that you gave birth to all turned out to be truly incredible children as a result of you and Gary taking a step of faith. I, you know, and I told together, I really want you to share something that was very impactful to you as a result of joining a, a, church, a new church, a family, a community. And I, I have to say that was definitely, for sure, for me, a highlight watching all three of your, four of your children, three or four, five, six, whatever, yeah, uh, grow, uh, growing up and um, just giving their hearts to the Lord, and they are just filled with the heart of the servant as a result of those years of giving back to the younger kids. So I love that. I mean, I think our third graders were taking care of the, uh, the nursery. So it was a little scary. We probably broke a few rules, but it all seemed to work out, and here we are today. So it's been great. It really has. This morning, we're going to continue in Elijah, and so we're back into 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. And as I said, we are looking at various lessons that we learn from the life of Elijah. Now, uh, we're going very slow, and there are a lot of lessons um, and each is a chapter. And hopefully this morning you'll learn a new one from his life. And it's kind of a bigger, more broader perspective on the life of Elijah, and it's about waiting. I believe that waiting is a way of life. I believe that waiting is an important understanding of the Christian life. And I don't think we've kind of put it within the right context of all the Bible and and. and and the teachings of the Bible. And I, what I want to do this morning is actually look at the life of Elijah from the perspective that God had called him to wait. Um, it's not done in the interim. Like there's some interim period of time in which you need to wait. Waiting is a way of life. And I believe it's um, the, the, the development, it's the posture of the soul of the believer. Elijah waited in the valleys. He waited in the desert. He waited on the mountain. He waited in a town. He waited a lot of the narrative. And um, life of Elijah is very similar to ours. We will spend a lot of our lives, in fact, our Christian life is a wait. And we need to learn and understand what a biblical wait is if that's truly our lives as a follower of Christ. And here's, here's my thinking. I think, in terms of the Bible, I think the entire Bible is set within a context of the rhythm of his people waiting for God to work. Did you get that? It's a rhythm that I think is described all throughout the Bible where we wait and God works. All throughout the Bible, from the very beginning all the way to the end. And I think we see that in all sorts of passages, Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. You see that? I'm waiting for the Lord. My whole being waits. And then the psalmist says it. He says it right here. He says, 
I wait for the Lord more than the watchman. Wait for the morning more than the watchman who waits for the morning. Twice he repeats it. What's the watchman do? The watchman waits. Waiting is to watch. It's to wait, is to watch expectantly for what God is going to do. And in the waiting, God actually works. Waiting is not a waste of time. Waiting is not something you do in between your understanding of who God is and God finally working. It is the place that God works best. You're a watchman in a tower waiting over, over the city on a hill, and you're waiting, and, and you're expecting something to happen, someone to arrive, and it's God who's coming into the city. God is coming into the community. God is coming into the church. God is coming into your life. And, and if we don't understand to, how to wait, we'll miss the work of God, and it doesn't work in reverse. God doesn't work, and then we wait. We wait, and God works in the wait. So it's a posture. Um, Abraham waited for the promise 25 years. 25 years of his life he waited for the promise to finally happen. Joseph waited 13 years in Egypt for the moment that he was given the opportunity to restore Israel and its fortune. Now, what's interesting is God was working all along. It's not like he waited 13 years and nothing happened, and then all of a sudden, God does something. He did something all along those 13 years. It reframes the years of our lives where we think it's inactivity, when in fact it's not inactivity. It's actually God at work in the deeper ways of our life. I mean, I could go on. Moses waited 25 years. Job waited in his suffering. David waited 15 years from the time that he was anointed as king until he finally became king. All throughout the Old Testament, Jacob is a beautiful story of when he wrestles with God and becomes, becomes, finally comes to term with who he really is, reconciles with his brother, and is named Israel, the father of the nation, and his 12 sons become the 12 sons of Israel. All of this happens because of the period of time in which he waited and developed 20 years outside of the promised land, now comes back and God does this incredible work because he was doing a work in his life all throughout those 20 years. Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus in a waiting stance of, of this 40 days in the desert. That's in Matthew 4. And then you get to Matthew 26, and where is he? He again is waiting after this one week of passion, which is Pasco, which I read a really incredible little book that uh, indicated that Pasco, passion, the passion week, the seven, the, 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 the length of time in which Jesus waited to go to the cross was about waiting for God to do something. And God was working all throughout that week. And then he finally meets the Lord and wrestles with his own, with his own will in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible's filled with it. Here's the question, big question, before we get into our text. Who did the work in the story of Elijah? I mean, really, when you think about all the things that we've studied, who turns the hearts of the people back to God? Who takes care of Ahab and Jezebel? Who slays the prophets of Baal? Who heals the, who heals the son, the widow's son, from death to life? Who brings food 
and nourishment for Elijah. Who does all this work? It's God, right? God is doing that, and what is Elijah doing? He's waiting. As Elijah waits, God is working. See, you could, say, you could ask the same question, a bigger question to the whole Bible, and say, who created everything that we see in the world today? Who redeemed the world? Who preserved humankind? Um, who saved the world with his plan? Who comforts the brokenhearted? Who strengthens the armies of God? The Lord is our strength, the Bible tells us. And when it says the Lord is our strength, what it literally means is the Lord is our work as we wait. Strength is what God gives us when we wait so that he can work. And Elijah had to learn this understand. We wait, God does the work, not the other way around. Even in Philippians, 120, in Philippians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2, Paul is in prison. And you would think, this is a waiting time. This is a, this is a non-activity time. And yet, what Paul says to the church of Philippi is pretty amazing. In 1.6, he says he's the one. He says, God, being confident, saying that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is still at work even while we're waiting. And then in chapter 2, verse 13, in my absence, Paul says... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. We work out what God works in. And it's in a, it's in a place of waiting. You may be in a place right now of waiting, and you're thinking, I don't know what God's doing. I just want to get there. That's my mentality. I don't, I don't know where you're at, but I just want it to be, I want to get to the next thing, and then the next thing, and the next thing. And I don't like the periods of waiting between. And you may be in, a, in a, an important season in your life right now that God has you in a place of waiting and you haven't seen your dreams fulfilled or you haven't seen everything come together as you thought they would come together. And you're in a place of waiting and guess what? What we learn from the life of Elijah, that's the very place God wants to work. It's not arriving. It's not just the arrival. It's not just getting what you think you want or need or deserve. It's the process where God does his greatest work in your life. So let's look at that for a minute uh, together uh, in this passage. Um, and I want to look at 1 Kings 17 and just kind of jump around a little bit. So if you have your Bibles available um, or your, your phones out, you'll see all these different places that God told Elijah to wait. So first of all, Elijah's the Tishbite in chapter 17, verse 1. And he's in Gilead. Well, east of the Jordan, here he is in this, this, this outlying town in Israel. And guess what he's doing? He's waiting. He's farming. He's probably a sheep herder. So here he is in a waiting position. God tells him to go to Ahab. And he goes to Ahab, says there's going to be a drought. And then it says, now hide yourself in the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan, verse 3. Now he's in a place of waiting again by the brook. God provides for him. The brook dries up. And then a little later in the story, it says, then the word of the Lord came to him in verse 8 and says, arise, now go to Zarephath. Zarephath. And Zarephath is a Phoenician city on the coast of the Mediterranean, just kind of outside the borders of Israel. And this is where the Phoenicians lived. This is Jezebel's hometown. And 
Elijah's supposed to go there, and what does he do? He waits for three years. Then God comes in chapter 18 and says, now go back to Ahab, announce that it's going to rain again. He goes back. He has a show off on Mount Carmel with the prophets, and then immediately he goes back into a place of waiting. Again, another place of waiting. He goes into, and it says that he now flees for his life and runs and comes to Beersheba, which is the desert, the southern desert, and sits under a, a juniper tree. And then he's there, and then God says, arise, eat, and now I want you to go and spend 40 days at the foot of Mount Horeb, and then he will actually find a cleft of a rock, a cave in Mount Horeb, and he'll wait again. Waiting, 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 waiting. And we think, well, this is inactivity, and it's not. And there's three things that I, I just want you to understand, three things about this remarkable section of Scripture and the life of Elijah. My belief is that waiting is willing the power of God to work. And until we understand how to uh, exercise the, 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 the posture of waiting, we're going to miss the work of God. And God is at work and wants to continue to work. In fact, the word wait in Hebrew, kavah, is a beautiful word, kavah. And kavah is the intertwining of a rope. It's the, it's the strands of a rope coming together. And you might think of it in terms of being stronger, but the idea is that our ideas, our perspectives are being intertwined around God in the waiting. We're getting new perspective. We're getting a new confidence. We're getting strength. We're getting perspective. We're getting the ability to learn how to trust in the circumstances of our lives. That's kavah. As we wait, our lives are being intertwined with God, who is the strength of our lives. That's the picture of the idea of um, kavah. So kavah means to wait actively with the anticipation and the hopefulness of watching God act. We're expecting him to act. In the midst of where you are right now, are you expecting God to act? Are you expecting him to work in your life? Are you expecting him to grow your faith and confidence? Are you expecting things to work out? Are you believing God in this moment? Well, here's what God does. First thing is God instructs. The second thing he does in wait is God speaks. And the third thing he does is God acts. And the first thing that we learn is that God speaks, and God's the one who instructs Elijah to go to all these places. He pushes him along. And in some cases, if, if, if we don't go where God wants us to go to wait, he's going to orchestrate circumstances in our life to get us to a place where we have to wait. You know, there's a, there was somebody at the, at the beach service and I was looking at him as I was saying these words and I remember back when, he, when, um, when Corey had his hip surgery and then it didn't go well and they actually literally could not put it all back together. They had to go back in and they had to wait and so he was walking around with a dislocated hip and he had crutches and he would come to church every Sunday and he would sit in the front of the church. Remember that? He would just sit there and he would just worship the Lord and there would be so much emotion and God was working 
God was, God was working as he was waiting to get that hip put back in place so that he could, as it is now, he's a, he is a, on staff at Mammoth Mountain as a ski a guide and skis and, and serves people and enjoys his passion of the mountains and God's given that ability to him. But when he, when he was waiting for that hip to work out, God was at work doing something even deeper into his life. I mean, that's, that really is the story of waiting. And so God, first of all, instructs. And we think it's our choice, and it's not our choice. It's God's choice to mold us. Waiting is God's choice to mold us. He instructed um, Elijah. There, uh, Dwight Edwards, he wrote a book called Revolution Within. He's uh, like a great, great, great grandson of uh, Jonathan Edwards. So he's a descendant of Jonathan Edwards. And he wrote a book called Revolution Within. And this is what he says. God is not merely hoping or wishing that someday we will give him the rightful due. He's going to remind us. And he, he's going to remind us in all sorts of ways. And in the waiting, we are reminded that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The sovereignty of God in your life must be established. And that's why he instructs us to wait, so that we will change our perspective. I wrote uh, something that he said, we matter much to God, but we don't matter most. And we have to understand that. We matter a lot to God, but we don't matter most. His glory is the great theme, I think, of the Bible. And God's glory is to be revealed through our lives. Because we matter most, but not, we matter much, but not most. And it's a matter of changing that perspective in this period of time. And it's a process. But the second thing we learn that I want to move to is the cherith, is moving to the brook. And in the brook where um, Elijah waits, and now he's in silence. He's in silence. And always in silence, what we learn is we can hear the voices most clearly. It's in the silence, but we also hear competing voices. And one of the challenges in waiting is learning to hear the right voice. And we are, we're barraged with voices, all sorts of voices. Every voice we face waiting the cherith, cherith is a voice of the soul that cries out for attention. And we want attention. It is so hard for us to wait in that place and to sort out those voices. In fact, we're often scared of those voices because those voices reveal to us deep within our souls our deepest longings that we feel are unfulfilled. Ron Boyd McMillan is a dear friend, and he wrote a book called The Heart is a Noisy Place. And I love it because I've read it several times, and he's a great friend, he's Scottish, and just the way he writes, I mean, he writes stuff like, you're, it's bleeding obvious. And I love that. It's just, the things he says is just the, very, very Scottish. And, um, but yet, what he, what he communicates in this book is there are lots of voices that we hear when we're really quiet. And God wants to use those voices in order to identify the very longings of our soul that only he can meet. God wants to match those longings. He wants to meet those longings. And every single one of them is an opportunity as we wait at Cherith, 
and wait in silence. Cherith is, the brook is a, is a symbol of quietness. And I could go on and on and on about all the things that I've learned about silence. But it's important to understand that there will be competing voices. Paul reminds us of that, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that there's a, we're waging a war. There's a spiritual battle going on, and we are to take every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of Christ. We're destroying speculations, these, spe these, these thoughts that come into our mind. I'm no good. I'll never, it'll never happen. It'll never happen for me. I've got to, what happens? We try to rush ahead of God. So the minute we hear a voice, we try to figure out how to solve it rather than settling in and saying, that's a need that I have, and I know, God, you will meet that need. And he says, he will speak to us words of affirmation. When I was reading the book, he said, he has you do this exercise about um, what are the voices that you're hearing, to, hearing? And one of the voices I, heard, I hear is that you're all twisted up inside, Todd. And it's impacted my health. And I've learned this lesson. We've talked about this in the past. That as I've heard, I've, I hear this voice and I'm twisted up. It's really, I'm twisted up. I'm anxious about what? And so I went a little deeper. And I realized that I have a longing to be heard, to be understood, to be appreciated, but most importantly, to be valued. It's a core need of mine. And what I think I hear the Lord saying, I, I found a passage in Isaiah that's just this, this beautiful passage in 43. Thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, don't fear, for I've redeemed you, I've called you by name, you're mine. You'll pass through the waters, but I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they won't overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be scorched. Nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give you, I've given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you. And by love you, I wrote, you are valued. See, what love doesn't communicate that for me personally. You might like the fact that God loves you. I really hear God values me. I'm really valued by him. And when I hear those words, what it does is it settles the other voices. Does that make sense? And I think we, the, the process is so, so important. Um, I often run from thing to thing. And that's another one of my voices. Just get through it, finish it, get, it on, get, get, get on with it, and move on to the next thing. And so what I do is I take life in chunks and I just, I accomplish something and move to the next accomplishment. I just keep moving rather than understanding that if life is about waiting, life is a process that we need to experience in this moment of hearing God speak into our lives what he is doing and what he's up to. Have we taken the time to do that? The third thing that I want to um, leave you with this morning is Zarephath. And in Zarephath, this is the town where, where God called Elijah to stay and live for three years. He meets the widow. We've talked about that. He heals the son, raises him from the dead. God does all these things while Elijah is waiting. And I think the principle is he acts. 
in ways that we don't see and understand. My father came to Christ later in his life. And we pray, we all came, all the siblings came, came to know the Lord early in life. So we all came to know Christ, you know, through high school and junior high and into college. And, and so, and we, we attended church as a family, but my dad was a holdout. And he couldn't rationally think that, that Jesus really came to bring salvation into the hearts of people. And he couldn't justify that scientifically, rationally. It just didn't make sense to him. From a scientific, he was an orthodontist, but he was a deep thinker, uh, and he always had to make sure that what he believed was true. And he couldn't prove it. And yet, over time, I felt like it, he, was, he, was never, he was just never going to understand. I, I kind of almost came to the, to the place where I resolved the idea that, that it just wasn't for him. And all along, God was working. And um, Cam, you remember, uh, you and uh, Dad would come to, um, you'd come to church. And slowly over time, as he began to see the community respond to one another, hear the messages, allow it to sink in, watch other people come. I just watched the transformation. God was at work in Zarephath in his life to one day, later in his life, he finally gave his full heart and life to Christ. And you could see the joy. You could see the joy. You could see the completion of it. But yet, all along the way, God was still at work. One of the best examples of this for me personally is my health. When I had my heart attack several years ago, probably four years ago, after my heart attack, one of the common problems, one of the common issues that people that suffer a heart attack have is they, um, they believe it's going to happen again. So there's a tremendous amount of fear. And so you live with this sense of fear. And so you don't really want to go exercise. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to go from far from home. And I'm a swimmer and I'm, I do open water swimming occasionally. And it's like, there's no way in the world I'm going to get out in that ocean again because I'm going to be off the shore and I'm going to have a heart attack and I'm going to drown. So I got it all worked out, right? So I figured it all out. And, and so you live with that sense and what I wanted so much is to just be well again. And what I learned through this class that I had to take is that it's a process of working, of building a confidence and a strength that you didn't have before so that you can step out and exercise again and start living your life normally all over again. And so they would hook you up to monitors and I would be in this controlled environment with nurses and and they would oversee and they would watch your, your vitals as you work out. And I just got more and more confident. And I left that program with a sense of confidence that I, I, I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through this. I'm okay. I don't know what's going to happen. But God is at work between now and the day he takes me into eternity. And I don't know what the next crisis is. I had another health issue that I've been dealing with over 10 years and and it goes up and down, up and down, and up and down, constantly watching. It's one of those things you just kind of have to keep watching. Your doctor always wants to watch it. And over 10 years, I have developed this sense of fear. Every time I go see this doctor, I'm going to have to deal with this again. Dang it. I can't believe I'm back into it. And now I got to, and, and then I get over it. 
And then I, then I live in fear until the next appointment. And it's just this continued fear that controlled me for so long. And then about a year ago, I just recognized the fact that what God is doing is he's working in and through my life. And he's giving me a confidence I don't have that I didn't have before. And I'm not going to worry about it anymore. It's not going to become the focus of my life. Because I will live the rest of my life wondering, is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. I'll die wondering that. I know that. And a long, you know, hopefully a long, you know, many years from now. And, and yet in the process, what I'm recognizing is if I focus on that, I'm going to miss the work of God that he's doing in my life right now. He's building a greater confidence, a greater, a greater commitment, a greater desire to serve him recognizing the fact that today is today and tomorrow is tomorrow. It's what waiting does in our lives. I waited for the Lord, and he inclined his ear and heard my cry, Psalm 5 says. I waited for the Lord. I cried out to the Lord, and he heard my cry. God wants to work in us in our waiting. Taking a posture of waiting, I'll say it this way, the distance between a broken or unrealized dream and God's abundant benevolence is where you wait and God works. It's the in-between time. Rather than seeing, God's, I gotta, I got, God's gotta get me through this. It's, I'm waiting in the process and God is working in me and through me in ways that I've never seen before. Elijah, if he just simply said, well, I just gotta get out of Zarephath, he would have missed all the moments that God was working to bring salvation into the life of a widow and life back into a son. Father, this morning, we're going to continue to worship you. And today, we're going to worship you because even as a church, we have been waiting and waiting and waiting for so many different things. We've brought before you a location, more permanent location. We've brought before you staff, we brought before you new leaders and, and volunteers, and we continue, Father, in a, in a heart of waiting, but also as individuals, we, we, we have a place where we wait. And there's, a, there's something right now in our hearts that we're waiting for, and you wanna work within us as we wait in a posture of trusting you, expectantly knowing, Father, that you are going to work, even in these moments where it doesn't look like you're working at all. And may we be observant, may we be observant as the watchman to identify what it is, Father, you are doing in Jesus' name. So as we um, continue with attitude of worship, I'm going to ask you in silence to get up if you want and grab uh, the communion elements and then come back to your chair and I'll lead you through that. So while the band starts playing, you go ahead and grab the elements, come back.
we participate in a supper that the church for thousands of years has regularly and consistently engaged in. Taking bread, taking juice, the bread representing the body of Jesus and the juice representing the blood of Christ. And on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting having a meal with his followers and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. He said, take it and eat it. So I invite you now to take the cracker and let it represent Jesus' body for you. And after that supper, he took a goblet with some wine and he held it up and showed his disciples and he says, this wine represents my blood, the blood that's going to be shed for you, that's going to open up a brand new way of relating to God, not by your own effort, not by your works, not by your anxiety, but by his sacrificial life given to us on the cross. And he held that goblet up. He passed it around and he said, take and drink from it, all of you. So will you stand with us together and the band will lead us in some worship. together if faith can move the mountains. If faith can move the mountains, let the mountains move. We come with expectation, waiting here for you. You are everything you've promised. 
Thank you that you are the creator of the universe and still you know each and every one of our hearts. You are not blind to the waiting. You do not walk away in the waiting. You are present in the waiting. So Lord, incline our hearts, incline our ears. May it be a whisper. May it be a thundering sound, God. Incline our hearts to hear you even in the waiting. In the places of disappointment, the places of fatigue, God, we give them to you. And we ask for your refreshment, for your spirit to compel us forward. So we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. So teach us that even this week, to walk by faith. We love you, God. Thank you that we get to worship you together. It's in your wonderful and beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. It's good to worship. Happy birthday, River. Yeah. Uh, let's do that again. Everybody, let's just, happy birthday, River. Give a hand, a round of applause. A hand of applause. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, hey, guys, one quick note. If you see trash, would you just help our team and, and grab it? Our, our setup and teardown team are so amazing, and we just want to keep helping serve them as they do their job. So if you find trash, grab it. We'll see you next week or at prayer this week. Bye, you guys.